0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. We're in a series now that uh, we've been in. This is our third week called Transformational Church. And I, I need to say something that's happening in my own life is I am probably being more convicted in uh, I know that I'm being more convicted in the preparation of these messages than any other series I've ever uh, had the privilege to do. Um, And so I don't know how it's coming off. You know one of the things I prayed for this week was that God I don't want to come off as angry because I'm not angry. I'm just convicted personally. And so there's uh, a sense of passion about this because God's messing with me right now. Um, in this season and uh, so I don't know what he's doing in you but um, please hear me say he's not angry with you and I'm not angry with you I'm I'm not even angry about this I'm 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 grateful that God is is just you know stirring in my own soul and today we're we're gonna deal with a, a topic that I just really have been convicted is essential to any church anywhere on this planet that desires hopes believes god is calling them to be a church that helps transform lives transforms neighborhoods and families and marriages and and their their city uh, the world in any capacity you know we we've sent a team to Cuba. We've got a team in Cuba right now. I hope you're praying for them. And uh, my guess is that somewhere uh, in Cuba right now, uh, Dave and the team are are presenting the gospel. They're talking about Jesus in a a church somewhere uh, in Cuba, in Bayamo specifically. And they'll probably have an opportunity to do that again tonight. And so be praying for them. But we, we go there hopeful, believing that God is calling us to be a part of a a church planting movement in Cuba and trying to encourage and celebrate and love on uh, pastors and church planters and small group leaders there because we believe God wants us to be involved in transformative movements around the world. But uh, again, I'm coming today with a a message that has been heavy for me. I don't know how it's gonna land on you but uh, we're just going to dive into this, and I want to start this message um, on prayerful dependence. Uh, I, I want to start with a, a parable today, okay? Just, just, just kind of uh, of a parable, and um, so you're going to need to use your ma- imagination. Okay, I'm praying that your imagination has been part of your sanctification process and you have a sanctified imagination a little bit um, because you're going to need your imagination today. And here's what I need you to do. I need you to imagine that you are a new employee at Walmart. You're a new employee at Walmart. I, th- I think Walmart is still like the largest employer in the world, in fact. Um, and I imagine um, that uh, you know that a lot of people pass through those doors as employees. Now, here's th- what I want you to imagine. Uh, imagine that every month, to my knowledge they don't do this, but just for the sake of, of going along with my story. Imagine that after you've been hired, the fir- first month of, of your hiring, the CEO, Flew you and all the other new monthly hires to to their corporate office, their corp- corporate headquarters for a big rally, a big, big meeting. And the CEO is going to give this giant pep talk to all, all new hires. And there are literally thousands uh, in this giant room, in this giant arena, thousands of new employees and uh, at Walmart and the CEO gets up on stage and he begins talking. And he talks about Walmart's values. And he tells you and the other employees about Walmart's mission statement and he explains in great detail their business plan. And he walks all that out for you wanting you to to understand what you've called to do and the role that you play in this organization. And then he says, listen to me very carefully. He says this, I want you to know that we we brought you here. And I want you to know that as an employee of of Walmart, we consider you to be incredibly valuable. And I want you to know as the CEO, I want you to be wildly successful in your career with Walmart. I I want in this company for you to be wildly successful. I want you to have the best uh, employment experience of your life that could be possible uh, by working at Walmart. And he stops and he says, do you hear me? Do you you hear what I'm saying? And he goes on to say, I want want every single one of you, it doesn't matter whether you're a greeter at the door, whether you're somebody who's cleaning the restrooms, whether you work in electronics, whether you're managing a store, or whether you're a new employee here at the corporate office. I, I want you to be wildly successful but there's one truth that has been proven over and over again, year after year, in our corporation. In order for you to be wildly successful, you are going to need my help. I'm the CEO. I run this mega company. I've, I've had literally millions of employees and I can guarantee you for you to be wildly successful, you are going to personally need my help. He goes on to say, in fact, you won't even be mildly successful without my help. So just cement that. Let let that settle into your brain. You can't even be mildly successful in this organization without my help. And so because I want you to be wildly successful, I can't think of of a better deal out there than the CEO saying that to you. And then he stops and he says, do you have any questions? And of course, nobody is you know, wanting to to ask a question. But, if you're a thinking person, I mean, if you really are a thoughtful person and you're engaged in what this guy's saying, you're probably thinking, that is one more arrogant dude. You know, he has got to be arrogant if he thinks that somehow he can help all of us. This whole arena filled with people. that, That can't possibly take place. And so you sit there and you think and then you think, but he said it. And he did fly us all in here on his dime, you know, so apparently he believes it. And you know, he's crazy enough to ask are there any questions, so you you know, you just brave up. You, you, You power up, you courage up, and you raise your hand. And you ask this question. So if I can't be even mildly successful without your help, how do I get it? And he said, I'm so glad you asked. Somebody write that lady's name down. She's going places in Walmart. I'm so glad you asked. And suddenly right behind him flashes up on the screen an email. And he says this. It's very simple. When, when you have a request, when you have a need that comes up, when you need help, you just send your request to this email address and help will come. You uh, include your employee number, that badge that we gave you when you got here today, that employee number on the bottom, it's yours uniquely. You're, you're a Walmart associate, you're part of the family, you matter to us. So all you gotta do is send an email and, and, and help will come because we want you, I want you to be wildly successful. But now here's the deal, there's one guiding principle about using this email, J- just one guiding principle about how to use this email. This email needs to be used to advance the purposes and causes of Walmart. Needs to advance the purposes, the, the, the values, the business plan of Walmart. So as long as it falls within those parameters use this email. Again I want you to be wildly successful and, and help will become. It, it, it will just come. Now. Don't know if you picked up on that yet or not, but Jesus said very, said something very similar to his followers on the night before he was arrested, on the night before he was betrayed, on the night before he would be cruelly crucified and murdered. But on the night before that, Jesus kind of called a little corporate meeting in an upper room and he had his followers there and he gives them this pep talk about asking, And we have it recorded in John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, we're going to be in John 15 as kind of our anchor passage for today. We're going to be in other places. But Jesus says, he starts out this way with his kind of corporate talk here. He said, I'm the vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit. And what he's saying is it's not, you know, even mildly successful. This is somebody who's not even mildly successful. No fruit at all. Okay, says he takes away and every branch that does not, that does bear fruit, he prunes it that it will bear more fruit. He goes on to say already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And now Jesus repeats himself. He says in verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them. Now watch this. He he kicks it up a notch. Will bear much fruit. That's he he bears much fruit. And then he says, But apart from me, you can do what? Not a thing. No thing. Nothing. You can't do anything. See, this is Jesus' way of saying to his disciples, to his followers, to the church in our day, I want you to be wildly successful. I want you to be mind-blowing successful, but there's no way you can do that unless you abide in me. He's saying if anyone doesn't get my help, look at this in verse, in verse 6, if anyone's not abiding in me, not getting my help, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. Now up until this moment, Jesus had been with these, these disciples for about two and a half years, maybe, maybe a little longer, maybe a little less. And he's been showing them. He's been modeling them. He's been sending them out on corporate mission. They've been with him. They've watched him. And now he's saying, listen, I want you to be wildly successful. I want you to bear much fruit, but you will never do that without me. Now, if you were a thinking disciple that day in that room, you would probably be sitting there and thinking, okay, I get it. I I need his help so how? How do I get get the help of this leader? How do I get the help of the one that I've seen walk on water? The the one that I've seen heal the sick, multiply loaves and fishes to feed thousands? How how, Seen him raise people from the dead? I've come to know him and confess him as the son of God. How do I get help from him? Verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He, he repeats that, you know, in verse eight. Look at this, he, he, he kind of summarizes it again, by this. My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. There's that bearing much fruit again. I want you to be wildly successful, Jesus says. He repeats that over and over again. Now, when Jesus is talking about fruitfulness, he is talking about changed lives. He's talking about my life going through change and transformation. He's talking about the lives that my life impacts going through transformation and, and, and change. And he wants that flowing first out of us and then into the world. And this is, again, Jesus' way of saying, I want you, church. I want you, disciple. I want you, to, my follower, to be wildly successful. But the key is in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now please notice this. Here he speaks of his words. It's kind of like the Walmart CEO saying, if it's connected to my purpose, if it's connected to our corporate values, if it's connected to our, our corporate business plan. See, this is what Jesus is saying. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. What Jesus is saying here is don't just use prayer as, as a way of getting you know your dream vacation in Hawaii. Don't, don't just use it for that. That's not, that's not what prayers, that, that's basically what the CEO of Walmart was saying. Don't use this just to get your, 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 your wish list fulfilled personally. He doesn't want us to just be asking for those things. Someone has rightfully I believe said that prayer is a walkie talkie given to us. So that we can know the desires of the king on the battlefield. So that, so that so we would know that. But here's, here's our great problem with prayer. Instead of using it like a walkie-talkie on a battlefield. We tend to use prayer like an intercom in our house. Getting the maid to do us a favor. Just you know. We, we ring our little bell of prayer to God. So that he'll serve us. And do for us, you know, what we want him to do. That, that's kind of how we tend to, to, to step into prayer. And Jesus is saying so many times the reason your prayers aren't answered, so many times the reason that, that help doesn't come is because your prayer life is not linked to my words. Not connected to what's in what, what I have said. You know, we read the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, we, we read that, that, that and that, that's Jesus' dream of us being a wildly successful church, a wildly successful personal disciple is that we're seeing disciples made in all the nations. And that only happens, Jesus says, when the church starts murmuring and praying and crying out to God together for the lost, to see the gospel go forth, to see communities change, to see marriages transformed, to see lives changed. That's the only way it's going to happen, Jesus is saying. He says if, you know, we, we talk about wanting to uh, help people learn everything that Jesus said. That starts in prayer. It starts by abiding there when his words abide in us. And then he repeats himself. If you go down further into to John 15 to verse 16, he, he kind of sums it all up again. Because he wants us to be wildly successful. He says, you did not choose me. I chose you and I appointed you that you should go be wildly successful. That you should go bear much fruit. And that that fruit should abide. It should remain. It should last. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. There's that, there's that phrase again. There's this strong link that Jesus is making between bearing fruit and praying prayers it to his word. That's kind of Jesus' corporate speech. Saying you can't do anything without me. You can't be wildly successful or mildly successful. But I want you to do something significant. I want you to do something out of this world. So Jesus says pray. Abide in me. Let my words abide in you. Now as with so many things related to our faith. The reality is we have to believe This and not just believe it as facts on a page, but believe it as conviction. It has to become convictional for us. We have to believe that this is what Jesus is saying is our prayer, and if we don't believe this at the core of our beings, down, way down deep, here's what's gonna happen, we won't pray. We won't pray kingdom prayers. We, We might, you know, we might pray prayers about, you know, God give me a parking space or something like that, but we won't pray prayers that matter. And there's a key phrase that Jesus used in this text. And it's in verse 5. It's probably underlined in your Bible. I know it is in several of mine. And he simply says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now what does that mean? You look like a group of thinking people. I mean, you look like you, you really are thoughtful. That you're, you're thinking about what's being said and what's going on. And you probably know lots of people who live their lives completely apart from Christ. You probably know lots of people that don't rely on him for anything. That don't think about him. That don't don't depend on him. That don't ask him for anything. And lots of times you look at their lives and their lives seem kind of successful. You know they've built a business. Maybe they've formed and established an institution. They've raised a family. They do lots of things. So how does Jesus say, or what did he mean when he said, without me you can do nothing? Well what I think Jesus meant was this. Is church, follower, child of God, you have a commission. You, you, you have a purpose. And that purpose is, is to make disciples For me of all, of all ethnic groups. To bring the gospel to people, that is your mission. To have them believe the gospel. To have the spirit of God move into their lives. To see them transformed. Their very lives turned around. Your purpose, church. Your purpose, child of God. Is to go out and make disciples. Now, you can build a business. You don't, maybe not need Jesus' help. You, you can raise kids, you can, you can make money, but here's what you can't do. You can't change a human heart. You, you can't. You cannot change a life. Jesus says that's my work. That's why abiding is, is essential. Because only God can change a human heart. And I think that's what he meant in this message. And that that idea, that concept, that, that biblical truth flows throughout all of the New Testament. We see Paul writing back to the church at Corinth. You know, they they had all kinds of issues. And uh, one of their issues raised up around personalities, around leader personalities in their church. Some were saying, oh, Paul's a better teacher than anybody. And some were saying, no, Apollos is a better teacher than anybody. And there was division in the church over who was the greatest leader. Paul writes this to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says this, one of you says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. I mean, he might basically says, isn't that so human fleshly? You know, how, how human is that? Then he says, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? We are just servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. He's just saying, look, God just maybe gave me the opportunity to say something you came to know him. And maybe God gave Apollos the opportunity for, to say something to you and, and you came to know him. But that was all done by God. In fact in, in verse 9 you know he goes on or, or in verse 6 he goes on and say, look I planted Apollos watered but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything. It's just about God. God's the only one who can give life to anything. And Paul says look we labor with him. We're a part of the work but we're we're not the one who are doing the work. Look at verse 9 he says for we are God's fellow workers. Your field, your God's building. We get to work with Him, but He's the one doing the work. Don't be confused. That's what Jesus meant when He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's impossible to do anything. And so He he says, let my words abide in you, and then ask according to His will. I remember early on in my walk with Christ, somebody told me that prayer, and I think it was wise, somebody, that, that, that prayer is simply conversation with God. It's just a unique conversation with God. It's a, it's a dialogue. It's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. And here's the interesting thing about conversation with God. Half of it has already been written. About half of the conversation, now I'm not saying he doesn't still speak to his people about things in their lives are about issues but I've come to understand that prayer for the most part is me working out what he's already said. For me coming to him and trying to understand it and walk in it and live in it. Half the conversations already been spoken and I've just got to I've got to press into it. His will is in here. His ways are in here. His, His business plans in here. I just got to come, I got to come to know it. I got to come to step in it. So if we are truly River Bluff, if we're truly to become a transformational church, we have got to think deeply about Jesus' teaching on prayer. And so I want to challenge us in some ways today about what I think the scriptures, especially Jesus' teaching on this, speak about prayer as it relates to a transformational church. And the first is this, I believe that transformational churches will display their dependence on God when they pray obediently, when they pray biblically, and when they pray consistently. When they pray obediently, when they pray biblically, and when they pray consistently. If we're going to live out John 15, we're going to have to pray obediently. And that just simply means when, when the scripture says that Jesus said do something, we do it. We, we just, that's what obedient, we just, we, we just go do it. We need to pray biblically. And what that means is we, we, we go to this book because these are the words that have to abide in us. If we're going to abide in him. These words literally have to make their home in us. If we're going to see this abiding so that we can see power released. And then we've got to pray consistently. We've got we've to know that apart from him, we can nothing's going to happen here. Nothing's going to happen at River Bluff if we're not abiding in him. And here's what, here's what I believe with my whole heart. I don't believe you would show up week after week if you did not believe that God wanted something significant to happen from your life, both in it and out of it in the world. I don't believe you'd keep showing up. If you didn't, if you didn't desire that, and Jesus is saying for that to happen, prayer has got to be what we're, we're about. If River Bluff wants to be the church that God has envisioned that impacts people, that impacts the loss, that helps change this broken world, we've got to pray obediently, we've got to pray biblically, and we've got to pray consistently. This has got to be a part of our lives. Now turn your imagination back on, okay? We're, we're going back to Walmart for a minute. Again you're, you're in that giant conference room and you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay. I, I hear this but CEO dude look there are thousands of people here and he just told you uh, how many people Walmart employs. They In the U.S. they employ 1.4 million. In the world globally they, they employ 2 million people. And you're thinking he just told me that. How in the world can it be possible that you know he's going to help all of them. I don't care how big his corporate team is. No way. No way he can pull this off. And so he's kind of still in his, and finally he gets back to, you know, the place where he raises, he just looks at everybody and says, any more questions? And you're thinking, okay, I might as well just go ahead and, you know, send my application to the target because if I open my mouth, I'm going to get fired now before I even start. But you just got to know. So you push on and, and, and you, you just kind of ask the question, you know, how are you going to do this? How is this possible that you think that you can get to, to, to all of our requests? But instead of firing, he says, I'm so glad you asked that question. And he begins talking about that he wants them to know how much they matter. And then he says this, do you have any idea what our revenue was last year? And a couple of people shout out some numbers, but none of them are right. He says our revenues last year were 481 billion. That was a B. 481 billion dollars in 2017. So, lots of money passes through this corporate office. Lots and lots of money. And here's what you need to know. I've got the resources to make it happen. You just got to trust me that it will happen. I've got all the resources I need to do exactly what I've told you to fulfill my promise to you if you will live out your end of the bargain here. I can, I can do this but you're just gonna have to trust me. You're just gonna have to believe that, that I can make it happen. And then you need to know this. I love I love it when you email. Here's what's happened. We've set up our corporate office so every time one of you email it dings throughout the entire building. If you've been hearing the dings in the arena, that's what's going on. Employees have been been emailing us, and we love it. We love it when the dings go off. All of us just kind of internally celebrate that you were you were reaching out, asking for help because you want to be wobbly successful. That's what you, that's what you long for, you know. And you're 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 contacting according to the business plan and the purpose of the uh, our operation. So we're going to help. You know, Jesus said that to the church. Jesus promised that to his disciples. That he will answer the prayers that are prayed from a kingdom perspective. That we've just got to trust him. I want us to look at a couple of passages real quickly just to remind us. Because there's more details about being a praying church in these. If you turn over to 1 John chapter 5. In 1 John chapter 5 he's talking about The necessity of prayer. And how he wants us to be wildly successful once again. In verse 11 of 1 John 5 he says. And this is the testimony. That God gave us eternal life. He's starting with the gospel. He's saying you got to start with the gospel. Okay you got to start with the truth. And this is life. This life is in his son. Whoever has a son. What he's saying is if Christ is in you. If you've invited him into your life. To be your Lord. To be your boss. To be your forgiver. You have life in him. But whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Folks, that's, that's a really simple equation. Either you have the Son or you don't have the Son. And Jesus has said, the, the way that you get me is you ask. It, it starts with asking. The whole relationship continues you with, with asking. And then you belong to me. And by the way, if you're going to live forever since you're going to live forever, there's at least one thing, maybe some other things that you need to know, but you need to know this. So in verse 13 he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. For those of you who know that, verse 14, that this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, his vision, his values, his corporate business plan, according to the first half of the conversation, if you ask anything according to those things, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. See, God says, listen, I want you to do things according to my will, my ways, my word. And if you will do that, And you will pray, I will answer those prayers every time. And you don't have to figure it out, you just trust me. He says the same thing again over in James chapter 4. Turn there, Jesus' half-brother James uh, was the one that the Holy Spirit inspired to write these words. And in James 4 verse 1, he writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And remember he's writing to the church, so he's kind of like, Hey church, why are you guys fighting internally? What's going on with that? Is this, uh, is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, and then he he asks this, this is kind of cool. Because you do not ask. You don't have because you do not ask. He's saying, look, there's this health, unhealthy competition going on in the church. This unhealthy competition going on among God's people. And he says it's because you lack. Because of the lack in your life. And then he says because you haven't been following the business plan. You haven't been following the first half of the conversation. You've been trying to do your own thing. And what that leads to is dissatisfaction. And you're frustrated and it turns into anger because your life is not what you had thought it would be. But it's because you're not pressing into my words and my will and my ways. He goes on further, James writes in in verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Some translations say with wrong motives. You ask outside of the business plan. You ask outside of the vision and the values. You ask outside of the first half of the conversation. You're not asking for the right stuff. And it's killing you. But if you ask according to what's in the book, you'll receive. You'll you'll receive it's according to my words. There's another image in scripture about this that's beautiful. Um, It's in Revelation chapter 5 verse 8. You can start turning there if you want to. Um, While you're doing that, just kind of back to the the Walmart parable. Remember the the CEO said how he loved hearing the dings? Well, God said that too. Just a little bit more beautifully and a little bit more eloquently in Revelation chapter 5 verse 8. In Revelation 5, verse 8, there's this image of how much your prayers matter to God. Your prayers change the experience that God is having. It changes the experience. It, he talks about it being a sweet aroma, both in the Old Testament and here. We're going to look at it in Revelation in just a second. But he's saying, you know, when, when you're praying, you know, Tina, when you're praying. You know, Bob, when you're praying, Cindy, when you're praying, when when you're praying, church, it sends a sweet aroma into my presence. God says something, it's sweet, I love it. Revelations five verse eight, Jesus has just taken, the images, Jesus has just taken the scroll, the book out of the Father's hand and it says this, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. God loves it when you pray. God loves what happens in his presence when you pray according to the first half of the conversation, according to you know his vision and his values. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 29 there's this great verse is kind of it's kind of strange in the context. The, the context of Deuteronomy 29 is the nation of Israel is about to be launched. They're just about to cross into the promised land and Deuteronomy chapter 29 is is really a lot about if you walk with me and follow me you'll be blessed and if you don't it's gonna be rough. It's going to be really, really bad. And then at the end of Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29, God's word says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. The secret things. But the things that are revealed, things that God has shown us, they belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. And what God is saying is there are going to be things that happen, things I say to you, you're not going to fully understand. Those are secret things. How God answers the intricacies of millions, maybe even several billion of his followers, how he does that, you're not going to know. You're not going to know the intricacies. You're not going to understand that. That's a secret thing. But what has been revealed, here's what you can know, are my promises. You can know what I've told you. It's been revealed to you. Not only that, it's yours. You, you own it. Th- those things belong to you. And they belong to your children if you pass them on. They, they, they belong to you. You're not going to understand some things. But you need to rest in the things that I will tell you. And you need to pray out of what has been revealed. You need to, to, to step into that. So we pray obediently, we pray biblically, we pray consistently. Secondly, transformational churches display their utter dependence on prayer when they pray or on God when they pray believing without fully understanding. We display our dependence on God when we pray believing without fully understanding. We've talked about that a lot already. Back in 2012-2013 I bought and downloaded a book, I do most of my reading um, on my, my phone or my, my tablet or even on my computer. And uh, the reason I bought this book, the, the title was Providence and Prayer. And this was a season when I was kind of studying and wrestling through some things over God's sovereignty and, 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 and man's you know, free will and just some of those kinds of things. And the description of the book captured my attention because of kind of that turmoil that I was in. So I want to read you some of the description and I've somehow I've got my glasses tangled in just hold on pay no attention to what's going on up here on stage. Look away! Don't look up here look somewhere else. Oh heck we're just gonna do it. I want to read to you this description that captured my attention. I tried doing this with a microphone in a hand. It's hard to click these glasses together and anyway. In the first service. It was, it was worse than that. This was, this was what captured my attention. Lord, please give me a parking space. Have you ever prayed that prayer? It asks. That prayer sounds right. On your third pass around the block. Frustratingly late for an appo- appointment. But is it consistent with how God works in the world? Then there was the string of questions. Does God's does prayer change God's mind or only our feelings? Does he do things because we ask him to or do we ask because he prompts us to pray? How much control does God really have in the world anyway? If he has given us free will, can he always guarantee that things will happen as he intends or wishes? Is our need for parking spaces important enough to bother God with or is he only concerned about things that advance his kingdom? If God has already decided how things will turn out, then why even pray? On the other hand, if we have this freedom that limits God's ability to achieve his wishes all the time, how much could he even do if we ask him to? How much does God know about the future? And how much does this affect the way our prayers affect the outcome? And how, how is God's relationship to time enter into the whole equation? Now those were some great questions with somebody wrestling with something and I thought this book has the answer to everything I want to know about prayer. I gotta have this book. So I, I download the book and about three or four weeks later I decide it's time to get to it. I open it and I start reading into it and I find out real quickly that what this book is is a summary of how Christians have answered these questions over you know 2000, over millennia. And it's kind of like 11 thoughts on those questions. And I'm thinking, great. I'm going to get to listen to 11 other people struggle with this stuff. And so I did what thinking people do in a moment like that. I decide I'm not reading this book and I go to the last chapter. Got any last chapter readers in here? Has anybody ever read a last chapter of a book? I, I, I went to the last chapter of the book. And I'll have to tell you that it ended up being worth the purchase. This is what it says. This is one of the last paragraphs in the book. It says, the Lord God reigns. Yep, I believe that. We live in that confidence, in the awesome awareness that he has chosen to give us significant agency within his creation. In other words, we have significant influence in what happens. Prayer is one of the means that God has given us to be workers together with him to bring about his perfect rule. To him be the glory. You know when I, when I read that I thought okay. I get it. I gotta, I gotta pray and trust. I'm not gonna have all my, my questions answered. He just simply says he will. But here's the deal church, so often we begin to doubt. And if, if doubt settles in, if we begin to doubt that somehow God has linked the advancement of his kingdom, the health, the spiritual health of our families of our friends, of the places where we live, work, and play, the people there. If, if we fail to understand that Jesus has linked all of that to his people in prayer, when we start to doubt that, here's what will happen. We won't pray. We won't pray. And if we are not a praying people, it's all lost. It, it's, it's just lost. Now I don't have to fully understand But I have to be fully convicted. I have to believe to be obedient and consistent and biblical in my prayer. So the question is, River Bluff, church, will we rely on God's strength and guidance through consistent, widespread prayer? Individually, in our groups when they meet, and corporately when we worship. See, I don't believe that we'll see what God sees for us. I don't believe we'll see the potential. I don't see us being successful, wildly successful. I don't see us bearing much fruit apart from that. We'll never be the church that God wants us to be unless we're praying steadfastly. So what do we pray? I want to give you three things. Because this is kind of the, the last point with three quick little subpoints, is this. A transformational church demonstrates its dependence on God when its people consistently pray three specific prayers, I believe. Three specific prayers. If we want to be biblical in our praying, if we want to be consistent in our praying, first thing we've got to do is we've got to steadfastly ask God for the strength to be who God wants us to be. Not who I want to be, Not what I want to accomplish in this world, but be who God wants me to be. Now, that other book on prayer I do not recommend. Here's one I do recommend. It's it's, it's entitled Prayer. It's by Tim Keller. It's a great read on prayer. And in in that book on prayer, Keller introduced an idea that was kind of new to me and so I had to go do some study on it but it was this he suggested that Paul the Apostle Paul who almost always opened his letters when he was writing a letter to a church he almost always opened his letters with here's what I'm praying for you church church at Colossae, church at Ephesus, church at Philippi here's what I'm praying for you he almost always in the first chapter tells them here's here's what I'm praying for you and here's what he never never asked for he never asked for their circumstances to be changed. Now th- these were churches that were enduring hor- horrific persecution. And Paul never, never says I'm praying that God will remove that. What Paul says I'm praying for is that you will be changed. Not your circumstances. I'm praying that, that you, yourself will be changed. You know in the Lord's Supper. Jesus, Jesus prayed that we would be changed. That we would deal with temptation a certain way. That we would want to be delivered from evil. That we would forgive others as he's forgiven us. You know? And those are, those are prayers that, you know, for who I am personally. And that's what Paul said I'm praying for. In, in his letter to the church at Colossae in verse 9. He said, you know, from the day we heard we have not ceased praying for you. Paul says, since we heard about you, we've not stopped praying. And here's, he, he lists out what he's praying. He said, I'm praying that you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom. He said, I'm praying that you would walk in a way that's worthy of our Lord. I'm praying that you would please him in all respects. I'm praying that you will, get this, bear fruit. I'm praying that your knowledge of God would increase. I'm praying that you would have great power within. I'm praying that he would strengthen you with his power so that you could be steadfast and patient and joyous. And filled with thanksgiving. All of that was about who they were. He said I'm praying for you to be who God desires for you to be. And we've got to pray those kinds of prayers. If we want to be a transformational church. Second category of things that we need to pray for is this. We need to pray for empowerment or strength. We need to steadfastly ask God for the strength. To not only be who he's called us to be. But to do what he's called us to do. He has called all of us to something in his kingdom. He hasn't called you to just make money. He hasn't called you to just raise kids. He's called you to have significance in, in his kingdom. He's called you to share your faith. He's called you to make disciples. All of us to do that. But then he's called many of us, all of us, to something specific in his church. He's given us different assignments in the church. He's given us different roles in the family. He's given us different uh, callings in in our communities where you live, work, and play. And so we need to pray for the strength. We need to ask God for the strength to do what he has called me to do where he's planted me. Right, right where he's planted me. Great, great example of this. Um, in Acts chapter 4, there's, a, there's a, a passage in Acts 4 that most of us love about prayer. It talks about, you know, when they prayed, the room was shaken. We love that. We, we want to pray, you know, shaking prayers. But I want you to notice what happens before they get to the, the shaking kind of prayer. In Acts 4, starting in verse 29, the church is praying and they say this. Now, here's what's happened. Persecution has broken out and they've gotten together to start praying and this is how they start their prayer in verse 29 and now Lord look upon their threats and that's the last thing they say about their circumstances God just would you please just notice that persecution is happening would you, would you notice that they're, that they're making threats but then look at the rest of their prayer and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you, O God, stretch out your hand to heal with signs and wonders that will be performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Church, if this place is gonna be shaken, if you and your family gonna be shaken, if our city is gonna be shaken, if revival is gonna come to our nation, It's going to be when we just say, God, there's persecution. Would you notice it? But God, make us who you want us to be. Show us how to do what you've called us to do. God, we need your strength. God, empower us to be who you want us to be and do what you have called us to do. Give us boldness, God. On the end of that kind of praying, shaking comes. Not before. Not until. That's when it comes. And so all of us need to think about how do I apply that to my, my life specifically? I want to give you an example. I'm going to pick on stay-at-home moms for a moment. Just as, a, as an image for how to, how to apply this to, to our lives, to how to think transformatively about being and doing here. The first thing that we're talking about then is praying for yourself. And so you would pray something like, Lord, Lord, Help me always be mindful that my children are going to remember more of what I do than what I say. Help me always be mindful of that. That long after they've forgotten what I've said, they'll remember the kind of person that I am. So God, fill me with mercy. God, God fill me with tenderness and grace. God, make me a, a, a parent who's quick to forgive. God, help them, my kids, see your character in me. God, God make me a godly mom. You pray first of all about being. And then you pray for the, the power to do because moms have lots to do. Lots to do. And so you pray. You know, God, you said train up my child in the way they should go. And so God, you've got to give me wisdom to know how to do that. God, you got to, I, I want to teach them your word. You, you said to teach them all that you come in and I want to do that. God, give me wisdom to pass on those values. Give me wisdom, God, to know when to discipline and when to, to, to cover over their sin with grace and love. God, give me wisdom to do that, to do. We all need to pray those being and doing prayers for the kingdom's sake. But then there's one kind of last category that I want to give us, and it's this. Church, we got to steadfastly, steadfastly ask God to do what only God can do. We got to ask God to give us strength to, do, to be who he wants us to be, to do what he wants us to do. But then we've got to come to the realization. That there are some things that only God can do. And we have got to beg for him to do that. We've got to we've got to plead for him. That you know in this world. There are people that he wants us to touch. That he would give us the strength to to say to them. That, w- that we would be who we're supposed to be. Lived out in front of them. That we would then speak the gospel to them. But ultimately God has to do his work. Only God can change your heart. Remember Paul said you know. I planted and Apollos watered. But God gave the life. God's the one that changed things. So we pray for God to do what only God can do. For him to change hearts. You know, if we go back to kind of that illustration of uh, of a mom. You know, she's saying, give me wisdom. God, I want to teach them. But Lord, ultimately, if my kids are going to follow you, it's going to be because of you. I can't change their hearts. God, you can. God, change the hearts of my children. Make them receptive to you. We've got to pray those kind of prayers. God, I can't change my spouse. God, I can't change my neighbor. God, I can't change my coworker. God, you can. Would you change their hearts, God? Would you make them receptive? Would you do what I cannot do? I can plant. Maybe, maybe I can water, but God, only you, God, can change hearts those are three ways to pray kingdom prayers a lot of of great chapters in Proverbs but Proverbs 21 starts and ends with like two completely polar thoughts in Proverbs chapter 21 it starts off this way it says the king's heart now in that day the king was like the highest official that you could think of in a culture think maybe you know the president of the United States or something like that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord just like a puddle of water uh, in God's hand. He can do with it whatever he wants to. He can turn it any way that he wants to. And that's a statement of God's sovereignty, his power, his ability to transform a human heart. And then we say, but God we're called to make disciples. People, we're called to help people become devoted to you. We can't change their hearts. And God says, I know, so you've got to steadfastly pray that I would. That I, I would bring about heart change. Verse 21 concludes, uh, uh, verse 31 of chapter 21 concludes with this thought. The horse is made ready for the day of battle. And what that's saying is we do our part. We get, we got to be ready in the fight. We've got to, we've got to pull on the full armor of God. We've got to be equipped. We've got to be ready. We've got to ready the horse here. But who does the victory belong to? It's just God's. It's not you. It's not me. It's not what I do. It's, it, it's God's. There are certain things that only God can do. And this is what prayer is about and for. I don't know if any of you have ever been to uh, an anonymous meeting in the recovery movement. But there's a great prayer that usually they either begin or end with or maybe both in some meetings. And the meeting goes, the prayer goes like this. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Grant me the, God, God help me come to realize my utter helplessness. Help me realize that there's so much I can't do on my own that unless you move God nothing's going to change. And that's why so many in the recovery movement become so dependent on him. It's because they know without him they're sunk. That may be the prayer we all need to regularly pray. God without you we're sunk. God, would you give me the ability to become the person you want me to become? God, would you give me the strength to do what you want me to do? And God, would you then do only what you can do? Let's pray. Father, we, we believe that you desire for River Bluff Church to be a point on the map from which kingdom transformation happens. We believe that as your people, that point starts in us. Individually and then corporately. We believe that, God sometime we forget so I'm asking you Father this morning would you reignite in your church known as River Bluff a conviction to be a praying church to be a church devoted to prayer devoted praying the kinds of prayers that God give you permission to show us who you want us to be that beg you to help us do what you want us to do, not our will, but thine alone. And that you then, God, we would pray that you would do what only you can do. And Father, your word tells us that only you can change a heart and maybe, maybe there's a heart in here you want to change today. Maybe for the very first time you've come to understand the power that prayer has to connect you with God. God. And maybe you just need to cry out to him for the very first time and say, God, I'm trusting in prayer and I want to trust in you totally with my life. I'm trusting that you hear me. I'm trusting in your promise to save me if I call on you. But most of us are here today and we may have grown lax in kingdom praying. We may have even gotten to a place where we doubt it. And maybe what God wants to stir in us is a renewal. A renewed conviction of about our own prayer lives and about our prayer life as a church as God's people known as the river. God, we want we want your spirit to flow through us to move through us. We want to be a transformational church. So I pray starting with me flowing outwards God through all of us that we will be a people who become convicted and convinced that prayer abiding in you for your purposes, your ways your kingdom is the only way we're going to see the world change help us God make decisions appropriate for that now as we worship you as we give back to you that which belongs to you your ties. as we bring from our heart offerings to celebrate the work and to further the work that you're doing around the world and in our own neighborhood Help us, God, now as we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.